Previously on Survived by One, Tom Odell recalled the murders. Survived by One, The Life and Mind of a Family Mass Murderer by Robert E. Hanlon with Thomas V. Odell. Episode 12, Arrest, Confession, and County Jail. Tom Odell would spend his last night as a free man in the Travel Inn Motel in Mount Vernon. The warm and welcoming motel sign dominated the property. Rooms were accessed from the parking lot, and cars were parked in front of the room doors. That's where Tom parked his father's car, a brown 1978 Mercury Marquee. The motel room's interior was typical of the time. Dark, flowered bedspreads, dark and slightly dusty curtains drawn on the only window. Opposite the front door, white light glowed in the bathroom. Room 125 would have reeked of marijuana. After some investigation, Police Chief Ron Massey and Sergeant William Dagenhart of the Mount Vernon Police Department, together with Special Agent Charles Parker of the Illinois State Police Division of Criminal Investigation and Detective Mike Anthus of the Jefferson County Sheriff's Department, staked out Room 125 from the Eagles Club parking lot directly across the street. They asked the motel owner to call Room 125 and remind the guests that checkout time was 11 a.m. At 9.50, the morning of November 9th, 1985, Tom Odell and a girl were seen leaving room 125. Agent Parker and Detective Anthus immediately crossed the street in Parker's police car and blocked the exit of the 78 Mercury. Tom Odell was read his rights and arrested at 10.05. We got a phone call from the front desk that we had to check out, so we did. But before we left the room, I smoked a joint lace with the dust I had gotten the night before. Teresa didn't want any, so I smoked it all. On the way to the car, the police appeared with their guns pointing and yelling at me to freeze and demanding to know if I was Tom Odell. To this day, I never thought that small town had that many guns to point at one person. They initially treated me with kid gloves, no rough handling, soft tones, and almost like they did not want to be doing it at all. But now I know it was because they didn't want to lose the case against me on some police brutality. I was patted down, handcuffed, and placed in the back of a squad car. On Saturday, November 9th, 1985, the front page headline of the Register News, the daily newspaper of Mount Vernon, Illinois, read, quote, Mass murder here. Man in custody after five family members slain. End quote. Greg Severin reported, quote, Five people were killed sometime Friday at 1005 South 23rd Street, and police are looking for an 18-year-old man in connection with the murder. State police have issued a bulletin indicating that they are seeking Tom Odell, a member of the family, for questioning. Dead are Bob Odell and Carol L. Odell, each approximately 39, and their three children, Robin, 14, Sean, 13, and Scott, 10. A source close to the investigation, who asked not to be identified, said the five people were stabbed repeatedly. The bodies of the man, his wife, and three children were discovered after 9.03 p.m. on Friday by police when Bob Odell failed to show up for his 4 p.m. to midnight shift at Illinois Bell. Stunned neighbors report being shocked by Friday's multiple slaying. 
I was starting to feel the dust and that unreal feeling again while riding in the back of the squad car. Teresa was transported to the police station in another car. We went to the police station and I was given a soda and some cigarettes. They asked me if I knew why I was there, but I didn't say anything. So they asked me again and I asked them if it was about my house. They said, yes, it is. They brought in a tape recorder, read me my rights, and had me initial them. Then they turned on the tape player and re-read me my rights. Then they turned off the tape recorder and told me I was going to tell them what happened. Then they turned the tape recorder back on. While they were asking me questions, it seemed as if I was outside myself. I heard myself telling them what happened, but it was not me inside my body. It was like I was outside myself wondering what was going on, because I had been stopped from taking my own life. It was like I was recalling something I had seen in a movie, except that I was in the movie. It was a really weird feeling I cannot describe to this day. I was still a bit high from the PCP I had smoked in the joint before I was arrested, so I'm sure that added to the feeling. I was amazed when I woke up that morning that I only had a few joints left, since I know I had purchased over a half ounce of weed, some PCP, and a little cocaine the night before. The voices were echoing in my head and everything was in a wave-like state. I did my best to understand why I was there and what they wanted of me, so the statement came pouring out of me. I was ready to tell someone to get it out of my system, for verification that it was real or just a bad dream. To this day, I still think this is all a bad dream and I'm going to wake up and everything will be back to normal as it was before the crime. Once I gave the statement, they asked me some questions. Excerpt from Tom Odell's Confession Statement And you cut yourself. How did that happen? My hand slid off the handle. Describe the knife to me just a little bit. About how long is the blade? About five, six inches. Long? Is it a narrow blade or a wide blade? It has... It's like, you know, the kind of knives that are used in movies like Friday the 13th? Stuff like that. Uh-huh. It's called a butcher knife. Kind of wide at the end and comes to a point at the other end? Yes, it's one just like that. What kind of handle did it have on it? A wooden handle. It was an old hickory knife. What do you mean, old hickory? Is that the brand name of it, or...? It's the brand name of it. Old hickory. What did you do with the knife after you finished with it? I left it in the bedroom. Do you remember where? On the dresser. On the dresser? In your parents' bedroom? In my parents' bedroom. Tom, why did you do this? I had to. You can't tell us why you had to. I just had to. They bitched at me for every little thing I did. I look at them wrong. What are you looking at me like that for? Constantly jumping on my throat. I see. Constantly, constantly pressuring me. When did that happen? That Thursday night, or early in the day Thursday, or... A long time. Okay, give me an idea of what's a long time. Like weeks? Years. Ah, okay. So then you really had a problem with mom and dad, basically. Why did you do it to the other ones? Because they couldn't be there, too. 
they couldn't be there too. You mean they couldn't stay there by themselves, or because there was nobody else to take care of them? There wasn't nobody else. Well, somebody. You've got uncles and stuff, don't you? I know, but see, they would find them, and they would run and tell. Oh, somebody would tell on you, and then you'd get caught. Is that what you're saying? So did you... did you just get up Friday morning at 9.30 and start this? I thought about it Thursday night. What did you think about it? How bad it would be, or how you would do it, or who you would do it to, or what? How I would do it. Did you discuss, you know? Did you not discuss? But did you think about the different ways you could do it, or just pick out one, huh? Everybody else was easy. It was just Dad I had to worry about. Why were the other ones going to be easy? No resistance, or they would just give in, or... No resistance. And you, the way you thought about it on Thursday night, in which to stab them or to hurt was the same way that you did it on Friday? You didn't think one way and then change your mind on Friday? Oh, I thought of several ways. Which ways did you think of? Oh, I thought about strangling them, shooting them. Okay. But I had to do something that wouldn't make any noise. You have neighbors that live close to your house down there, then, where you live? Yeah. So you considered all the factors, didn't you? Yeah. There was a part of me that just wanted to say I do not know. But there was also the sarcastic part of me that gave them what they wanted to hear, as far as details. I just made stuff up that made their eyes get large to try to give them the feeling that I was not someone to mess with. It gave me a sense of power, so to speak. It felt good. I didn't feel like a victim anymore, and I understood a little of what my mother must have felt to have her children afraid of her. Now that I'm older, I can see that she was scared and did what she did so she wouldn't feel like a victim. But a victim of what? So they took the statement, taped it, and I signed some stuff they told me to sign. Then they took me to jail, but on the way out of the police station I was told there were TV cameras there and I should walk fast and hold my head up or down. But they had me regardless of what I did. I saw loads of people all around the courthouse, like there was something going on. I couldn't believe all those people were there because of me. And for what reason were they there? On Monday, November 11th, a front page Register News article, In Slayings of Mount Vernon Family, 18-Year-Old in Jail Without Bond, John Callerman reported, quote, The killings in the small frame house at 1005 South 23rd Street may have begun as early as 9.30 a.m. Friday, and they continued until about 4.15 p.m. That's the time frame established by law enforcement authorities after Thomas V. Odell, 18, admitted killing his parents, two brothers, and a sister, according to police chief Ron Massey. He did give a statement, Massey said. He did admit the killings. He gave a reason. It was a family dispute, a problem with his parents. We can go one step further, Massey said. This was an ongoing problem over months or years. A weapon was found, Massey said. It is believed to be the murder weapon. 
He described it as a large hickory butcher knife with a wooden handle and said it was found in the bedroom where four of the five bodies were discovered. Deputy Sheriff Mike Anthus and Division of Criminal Investigation Agent Charles Parker made the arrest about 9.50 a.m. as Odell and a 15-year-old girl came out of room 125 of the Travel Inn Motel and headed toward the car. Massey said Odell had picked up the girl sometime during the previous night after driving around town for a while. They spent the night at the motel. Massey said the girl had no connection with the slayings and didn't know anything was wrong until she called friends Saturday morning and learned police were looking for Odell. Parker and Anthus questioned Odell for at least three hours following his arrest. Early Saturday afternoon, he was taken to Jefferson County Jail, where he's being held without bond. End quote. I was processed in the jail, given a jumpsuit, and taken to the shower. I was told to put on the jumpsuit, but I still had those joints on me because they never really searched me. So I kept them on me and was given some bed linen along with some towels and stuff. I knew someone in jail already who sent me some cigarettes, cosmetics, and a few candy bars. His mom even sent me some things like t-shirts, socks, and drawers. I was listening to the news on some TV in the jail and they were talking about what had happened. I still did not believe it. I even asked to call my dad, and the jailer laughed at me. I got mad at him and tried to hit him for laughing at me. A trustee came and told me that what I had heard on the TV was about what I had done. But I was just not ready to believe something like that. I just laid down and went to sleep to try to get rid of the effects of the drugs, so I could think, because I couldn't keep a clear thought in my head. When I got up, I noticed I was in jail and it took me a few seconds to gather in my surroundings. Then I realized that what I thought was a dream was in fact real. So I talked to who I knew there and was told the same story that had been told to me earlier. I knew the trustee. Plus I knew his brother. He used to ask me all kinds of questions and because I knew him, I would talk to him. After I had been there a few days, the officers brought me the statement I had made. After reading it, I concluded that what they were all saying was true. I even corrected the spelling of my siblings' names. It just had to be true because my signature was on the paper they showed me. I had to wait until the weekend was over to go to court. In the meantime, I had all these Bible preachers at my cell door preaching at me. It was driving me crazy. I had to keep running them off by cussing them out because all I wanted was to be left alone to collect my thoughts and figure out what was going on and what was going to happen. I had to figure out once and for all if this was real or not. I could not think with all those people screaming that I was going to hell and to repent and on and on and on. So I finally went to court and there were TV cameras everywhere. That was just blowing my mind. They read the charges and I just started shaking and could not stop. I just wanted to die right then, just like I did when I woke up that morning and got a taste of what had happened, but I still could not believe what was happening. On Monday, November 11th, the Register News listed the obituaries of Robert Odell, Carolyn Odell, Robin Odell, Sean Odell, and Scott Odell. 
Robert, Robin, Sean, and Scott Odell were preceded in death by Virgil Odell, Robert's father and the grandfather of Robin, Sean, and Scott. It was also noted that all five deceased members of the Odell family were survived by Thomas Virgil Odell, who had received his middle name in honor of his grandfather. The following are excerpts from the Register News obituaries of the Odell family members. Robert E. Odell, 39, 1005 South 23rd Street, died Friday at his home. Mr. Odell was a mechanic for the Illinois Bell Telephone Company. He is survived by one. Carolyn Louise Odell, 39, 1005 South 23rd Street, died Friday at her home. Mrs. Odell was past president of the Horace Mann Parent-Teacher Organization and was a volunteer for the Horace Mann School Library. She is survived by one. Robin Lynn Odell, 14, 1005 South 23rd Street, died Friday at her home. She was a student at the Mount Vernon Township High School. She is survived by one. Sean Robert Odell, 13, 1005 South 23rd Street, died Friday at his home. He was a pupil at the Casey Junior High School. He is survived by one. Scott J. Odell, 10, 1005 South 23rd Street, died Friday at his home. He was a pupil at the Horace Mann School. He is survived by one. In another piece about the Odell family funeral and the Register News on November 13th, Meta Minton and Randy Snyder reported, quote, about 400 relatives, friends, and curiosity seekers attended the funeral for members of the slain Odell family on Tuesday, the same day their accused killer, eldest son Tom V. Odell, 18, was making his first appearance in court in Jefferson County Courthouse on five counts of murder. Five hearses carried the bodies of Robert and Carolyn Odell, both 39, daughter Robin, 14, and sons Sean, 13, and Scott, 10, from a closed casket ceremony at Park Avenue Baptist Church to Memorial Gardens Cemetery, where they were interred at the family plot near the main entrance. End quote. Reverend Gary Ford addressed the mourners during the graveside service. Quote, Certainly, the community feels bitterness and anger, but we desperately need to avoid that anger because it is destructive to us and destructive to those around us. The amount of pain you have right now is a measure of the depth of love you had for these people. If one child passes through here and figures alcohol and drugs are really not the fun they figured them to be, that they're really not worth it compared to the pain that they bring, if one parent passes through here and realizes that choosing up sides and being abusive to each other in the family is not healthy, then these people have not died in vain. One of the hardest things in losing a loved one is wondering why. We want to know. There are things going on that we don't understand right now and we can't. End quote. 
A front-page story of the Register News on Friday, November 22nd of 1985, reported, quote, 18-year-old Thomas V. Odell, in an earlier-than-scheduled court appearance, pleaded innocent in circuit court here Thursday to five counts of murder in the death of his parents, two brothers, and a sister, end quote. His attorney, public defender James Henson, had reportedly advised his client to waive the right to a preliminary hearing because the testimony of law enforcement officers, specifically involving detailed descriptions of the crime scene, would have a damaging effect on the defense. Assistant public defender Charles Stowe was appointed co-counsel. Circuit Judge Lehman D. Kraus, in response to state's attorney Alling's motion, ordered Odell to undergo a psychiatric examination. A little over three weeks after the crime, on December 2nd, 1985, Tom Odell underwent a court-ordered forensic psychological evaluation by Carolyn Wayand, Ph.D. She determined that Tom manifested chronic depression of mild to moderate severity that was due to a pervasive sense of loneliness and emptiness associated with feelings of fear, anger, and desperation. She concluded that he seemed to view the world as a dangerous, hostile place. Those who are responsible for giving care and protection are perceived as indifferent, cold, or absent. Tom relates to the world at a primitive eat-or-be-eaten level. Tom has failed to develop mature restraints or the ability to redirect primitive urges into productive channels. The psychologist concluded that there was a striking absence of guilt or remorse, especially considering Tom's current situation. The Thematic Apperception Test, or TAT, a projective psychological instrument, was administered by Dr. Wayand to Tom to assess personality and psychopathology in a structured format. The TAT consists of a series of black and white pictures depicting ambiguous social scenes. The examinee is required to interpret the pictures by telling a story about what the pictures represent to him or her. Ostensibly, the stories reveal unconscious motives, internal conflicts, and repressed feelings that the examinee is otherwise unable to articulate. In response to a picture of the black silhouette of a male figure reaching through an open window framed against a solid black background, Tom responded, This looks like me gazing out the window, letting my imagination run, thinking of old memories, having some trouble sorting things out, he might be a thief in the night escaping out the window. He feels depressed, lonely, looking for a friend to talk to, can't find no one, left to sort things out by himself. I like this picture. Tom also underwent a court-ordered forensic psychiatric examination by Lawrence L. Jekyll, MD, on December 2nd, 1985. Based on his review of records from the DCFS, Dr. Jekyll documented, Mrs. Odell had a propensity for rigid and sadistic treatment of the boy, and Mr. Odell protected his wife. Tom said he was chained to his bed as a young boy for two or three years because he would break into people's houses at night. The father was just a bystander while mother beat the children. Thomas said he had thought about hurting his family before. He decided that he would kill his family the night prior to the alleged crime when father and mother told him he had to leave the home. Thomas told me he still could not believe he had hurt his family. He told me, I don't think I have a conscience. I don't feel guilty about what I've done. He still called the house and found it hard to believe that his parents were not there. 
he said one reason he killed the entire family was because he, quote, did not want them hurt by mother's death. My mother was the one I really wanted. She mentally abused me, end quote. He described past abuse such as being beaten by my mother with a belt all over my body, and when I was 10, she smashed my thumb with a hammer. My mother said I was no good and wouldn't be anything. Thomas has a severe, chronic, chaotic personality style, which has object and self-destructive features. He grew up with little structure and love. He suffers from a pervasive sense of being out of control. The trigger for the alleged crimes was his ejection from the family home. Thomas saw his ejection as the final abandonment by his family and the ultimate abuse. Dr. Jekyll diagnosed Tom with antisocial personality disorder and opined that he was fit to stand trial and had been able to appreciate the criminality of his actions at the time of the crime. On December 9, 1985, one week after Dr. Jekyll's court-ordered psychiatric examination, Tom Odell was transported from Mount Vernon to the Cook County Jail in Chicago, where he underwent a forensic psychiatric examination by defense expert Henry G. Conroe, M.D. Dr. Conroe noted, His affect was generally bland, and his mood was mildly depressed and anxious. He began crying when speaking of feeling he should have kept his youngest brother, Scott, alive. After recounting the events of the day before the killings, Tom described in detail the manner in which each of his family members was killed. When asked to describe his relationship with his mother, Tom stated that there were two sides to her. One side was all right. Her other side was very, very violent. She would throw anything that was available or slap the children. She didn't know when to quit the belt. She often argued with her husband about the punishment. She always yelled and screamed, and we would always end up both screaming. The psychiatrist noted that Tom described chronic feelings of hopelessness and depression. He had suicidal thoughts of shooting himself in the head. He spoke of feeling remorseful, but also being relieved. Dr. Conroe diagnosed him with borderline personality disorder with antisocial features, based on his impulsivity, his pattern of unstable and intense interpersonal relationships, his lack of control and anger, his frequent mood shifts, and his intolerance for being alone. Dr. Conroe concluded that Tom's behavior was a symptom of a malignant family system. His mother's coldness and sadism, and his father's unavailability and passivity, led to Tom's difficulties controlling his anger and his impulsivity. Tom's indifference toward the lives of his family members was similar to his mother's attitude. His upbringing led to his having a serious mental disease, a borderline personality disorder with antisocial features. This mental disorder was present on November 8, 1985, and his behavior on that day was clearly an outcome of his being a member of this highly disturbed family where sadism and indifference were the norm.